I want to ask how... Oh, yeah, Tyler's gotcha. And if you find any grammar or spelling errors, please let me know so I can correct them. All right, uh, before I jump into it, how many of you have been part of a church where during the Sunday morning service, so not Wednesday night, not Sunday evening, but during the Sunday morning service, women read the Bible, did the scripture reading prior to being here? One, two, three. Okay, some, not, I don't know, probably a, not even a third. How many of you were part of a church prior to coming here that had women pray during this Sunday morning service? Okay, so about the same people. Um, so maybe those things kind of go together. Well, during the last family discussion forum, as I talked through some of the slight tweaks to our Sunday order of service, I explained that we'd be inviting members of the church to lead the prayer during the segment labeled in your bulletin, Prayers of the People. And I mentioned that we'd like both men and women to lead those prayers, just as we have both men and women read scripture during our morning services. Um, and I know that for some of you, as we just saw by raise of hands, this is completely normal, and maybe it would feel weird to you to be part of a church that would restrict scripture reading and prayer to men only. Others of you probably feel the opposite way, where it feels a little bit weird to either be involved in it or to observe both men and women leading prayer and scripture readings. So I want to pretty much just give you some reasons why we do that. I want you to know that we're not doing something unique or odd. Um, we do believe that it's not only permissible, but also desirable for women to participate in public prayers and scripture reading in our morning service. So that, that view or position, I just want to assure you, is not out there or strange, even if it feels different to you. So we've just finished this conscience class pretty close. So maybe for some of you, this would feel like it's a conscience issue. You feel some level of qualms or um, insecurity about seeing it or participating in it. And all I'm trying to do here is to give you the confidence that what we're doing is very, very biblical, even if you haven't seen it in other places. At the same time, I don't want to say that those places are being unfaithful to God or something. I think I would say they're maybe being unnecessarily restrictive, and probably different churches have different reasons for not including women in scripture reading and prayer that I don't know of. But our beliefs, this position is not motivated by modern cultural assumptions about men and women. So we understand that there's a push to avoid recognizing any difference between men and women, that's progressed so far that any attempt to define man and woman would be politically incorrect. That's the world that we live in, but that's not what's driving us. Now, all of us are influenced by our culture in ways that we might not be aware of, but it's not the winds of culture that drive our commitment to involving women in our corporate worship in these ways. So if it's not because of the culture, why is it? Well, I want to give two broad categories. First, we advocate for female participation because trusted scholars suggest that women should be encouraged to pray and read scripture publicly um, during the morning service. So every scholar that I'm going to reference 
in quote here, identifies as a complementarian. That means that they affirm some governing and teaching roles in the church are restricted to men. So they're saying that at least for some things, only men are called to do it, or only qualified men is probably the better way to say it. That's our position when we talk about pastors or elders. We say only qualified men are legitimate candidates for that role. The opposing view, egalitarianism, affirms that no ministry roles are restricted to men. So no distinction on anything, whatever a man can do, a woman can do. Although uh, people vary, these scholars even, vary on the specific outworking of their complementarian convictions, they all represent conservative approaches to women's roles in the church. So anyone that you would talk to would say these are the gatekeepers for conservative views about men and women in the church. Starting with one of the most conservative, Wayne Grudem provides a detailed list of which teaching activities in the church should be open to men and women. In this list, he suggests that reading scripture aloud on Sunday morning should be open to both men and women. So even through just reading, even though just reading scripture is somewhat teaching, we might say, he suggests this should be open to both men and women. And then he goes on with another list that he developed about activities in the church that bring some level of public recognition. So not teaching, but public recognition roles and activities. In that list, he suggests that public reading of scripture and public prayer should be open to both men and women. And he's talking about on a Sunday morning here. Uh, So this would be one of the most conservative guys. And he's like the main author of this statement that all conservative complementarians would sign. I'm just trying to say we're on safe ground in doing this. Um, Grudem's not the only conservative who argues for this kind of male and female involvement in corporate worship. George Knight III, contributing to a popular book on manhood and womanhood. It's the one edited by Grudem and Piper called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It like defined for conservative churches what is and is not permitted. And it's strangely overly specific at times and sometimes not helpful. You know, there's a section in there where uh, Piper's talking about how if a uh, guy is lost and looking for directions, it might be inappropriate for a woman to give him, for him to pull over and a woman to give him directions. She'd have to figure out in doing it in a way that's not violating biblical instructions. So there are some things in there, like I'm just trying to say this is like a very, very, very conservative book. So when I'm drawing from this, what we're doing is not out of control. George W. Knight III, contributing to this book, argues that women are to use their gifts in every way that Christians in general are to do except for those areas explicitly prohibited by scripture. So his controlling method is, if the Bible explicitly restricts it, then no, off limits. Otherwise, everything's fair game. In the same volume, this guy, Wayne House, says, does the biblical model preclude a woman from giving her testimony in a church meeting or offering the scripture reading or making announcements or leading songs or offering a public prayer? These questions can be answered with another question. Are any of these ministries an expression of authoritative elder-like teaching over men? Probably not, and thus they should not be excluded from the ministry opportunities afforded by qualified, afforded to qualified women of God. So he, he gives this whole list and says, man, if they're qualified, if they're loving God, if they're Christians, none of these things are broaching on that restriction of male eldership. Tom Schreiner, another conservative theologian, comments on 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10, concluding, one should not conclude from the calls to men to pray 
and to women to adorn themselves properly that only men should pray in worship. 1 Corinthians 11.5 clarifies that women are allowed to participate by praying in public meetings. So just another scholar saying this is what God would desire. Edmund P. Clowney distinguishes between male eldership as an authoritative office and female participation in at least some leading roles, such as prayer. He writes, with respect to prayer, the situation is different yet again, for prayer does not bring God's authoritative word to the church, but addresses the praise and petition of the church to God. Public prayer must be, excuse me, must be ordered, as must all parts of the service, but it is not restricted to those who rule in the church or to men alone. So in other words, those who lead the public prayer should do so in an informed and organized way. Um, so the New Testament authors dictate the manner of prayer, and that has limitations and restrictions. Don't do it in a gaudy, audacious sort of way, but they do not prescribe gender-based constraints on the leaders of public prayer. Finally, Andreas and Margaret Kossenberger, this is the guy I'm doing my dissertation under, warned that there's unfortunately a certain amount of truth in the charge that conservative churches often diminish the legitimate ministry of women. While this may be done unintentionally, the disparagement of women's participation in ministry occurs nonetheless. They go on to argue that women are called by Christ to engage in mentoring and training women, as well as to pray, prophesy, and otherwise participate in public worship, exercising their spiritual gifts within biblical parameters. Women's participation in public worship may take a variety of forms, more than just playing the piano is kind of what they're getting at. They then add that it's biblically permissible to have women serve as deaconesses and that this was probably a practice in the New Testament times. And while our modern church practices are not required to reduplicate everything we find in the early church, we should guard against neglecting the precedents set by these first Christians. And so if the early Christians were doing it and were not, we should ask, why wouldn't we? In short, the above theologians considered the gatekeepers for complementarian theology and practice, affirm that women should be encouraged to participate in public scripture reading and prayer during corporate worship services. As I mentioned, for some in our congregation, this is probably a given. Others, however, may never have been part of a church where women were encouraged to participate in these ministries. So for that reason, the voices of these well-recognized individuals may provide some security that the prevailing culture does not influence our position and practice on this matter. That's all that I'm getting at. After I talked about it last week, no one shot me an email saying this is wrong or ungodly. All I'm trying to do is just give you more voices outside of what you heard in that moment to know that we're just carrying on the practice of the ancient church and we're following the, um, at least, preferences, maybe guidelines of these conservative scholars. More importantly, perhaps, though, we would encourage both men and women to participate in public scripture reading and prayer because we believe that the Bible not only permits but encourages and commands even both men and women to do so. Of course, there's a sense in which the whole congregation participates while listening to the scripture reading and adding their yes and amen to the prayer. So, you know, not every Christian must read publicly and pray publicly, but every Christian must participate in it. And some Christians who are gifted and able need to be the ones who lead that. Otherwise, no one's leading it. Um, But there's also a sense in which men and women are instructed to read, sing, and pray publicly before the congregation while submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. 
And I think maybe this is the issue that would raise some questions of, well, what about all those texts about submitting to authority? Well, in the section of Ephesians where Paul says to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, um, the last sentence of that paragraph is submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So there's a sense in which anyone who reads scripture or prays or sings, sings music can do so in a way that's submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And that's what we want to go for. That's, we don't want people to make it about them. We don't want to make big statements. We want to um, serve the Lord submitting together to one another in the fear of Christ. Then we have at least one indication that the Apostle Paul approved of women reading scripture and praying publicly in the corporate worship service. In 1 Corinthians 11.5, he warns against women praying and prophesying with uncovered heads. So he's not warning about them praying and prophesying. He's warning about them doing it in an inappropriate fashion. And you can listen to the sermon I did on this. Essentially, culturally, I think there were women who, in this change in their culture, where women were getting rid of head coverings to kind of flaunt their uh, sexual permissiveness, their freedom, whatever, they would take the opportunity they had to pray and prophesy in the church, and they would dress in a certain way to declare, we're part of this new movement going on in Corinth. Well, women who pray and read scripture here don't wear like, uh, you know, pink shirt with a fist on it that says uh, feminist revolt, okay? Don't do that. I think that would be akin to what was going on in the Pauline church at that time. So we, we don't want women to make statements, uh, but Paul's concern is that women were making statements, not that they were praying or prophesying. Uh, what does it mean that they were prophesying? That's anyone's guess. I think at least it can, we can equate reading scripture to it, speaking the word of God, um, and then praying. There's no doubt about the definition of what they were doing there. They were leading the congregation in public prayer. So there I just say that in the early church, women led the congregation in prayer, and the apostle Paul approved, so why shouldn't we? You know, I think we're always working to adapt our practices to reflect the biblical norms. And I think, like my uh, supervisor said, some churches disparage women's involvement in ministry unintentionally. And I don't think they intend to disparage it, but they at least diminish it. And I think for many of us who have come from churches where you never saw a woman read scripture or pray in a public service, it's probably a diminishing of it that was unintentional. And so we don't want to be too hard on anyone who would do it differently than us, but we should also ask why, why would we not include women in these roles? So my purpose in this brief talk is not to give you an entire theology of women's involvement in church ministry or to exhaustively defend what we're doing. I think there are enough points here that you understand we're grounded in biblical instruction in the precedent of Christians. We're, we're not being driven forward by any sort of cultural agenda.